Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Rossinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content, not just The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Um, and uh, if you like... Or if you want to give some feedback to the station, you can go on VeritasCatholic.com, VeritasCatholic.com, and you could offer uh, whether or not you you like the programming, don't like it, uh, criticism, whatever you like, questions, comments, and concerns. We certainly would value that. And wherever you find Joe and I on social media, the Frontline TV in particular, the Frontline TV on YouTube, like, subscribe, share, and do all that fun stuff. And today... We are very pleased and honored to be joined by Elizabeth Lev, and we are going to be discussing her new book, The Silent Night. That's with a K, not with an N. The Silent Night, A History of St. Joseph as Depicted in Art. Now, many of you out there uh, probably don't know Elizabeth, so with that, I'm going to give a brief introduction. Excuse me. Elizabeth Lev is an art historian, best-selling author, international speaker, and certified sommelier. She teaches Baroque, Renaissance, and Christian art at Duquesne University in Rome. Uh, we are from where we are speaking to her now. Elizabeth Lev, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thank you very much for having me. Excellent. Liz, we start off with a prayer because all good things start with a prayer, and this is a very good Absolutely. thing. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us, amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Just to tell our uh, audience, before before the show, we were talking about wine. Joe Pasillo is in the restaurant business, as many of you know, and Liz is a certified sommelier. And it's funny, because every time I hear that word, sommelier, I think of my father. And, and to be honest with you, I've told this story to Joe, I've traveled extensively um, at the first uh, basically quarter of my career uh, as an auditor. And I would go to a lot of very nice restaurants throughout the US and in South America. And I can remember coming home from a trip telling my dad, who was a barber, a very simple man, a good man. And I was like, what is the name of the wine guy? And he looks me straight in the face and he just goes, the wine guy. <laughs> so yes, I every time I think of Savo, yeah, I could, it was at the tip of my tongue. I couldn't remember it. And he was like, the wine guy, Joe. The wine guy. I love yes. it. I love so it. So that that is a, a New Jersey barber's take on the sommelier. In, in my case, I'm afraid it's the wine girl. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. But yes, I every time I see that, I, I think of my dad and I think of that story. Um, and also, uh, again, before we get into the book, I know, uh, as Joe said, you're living in Rome. 
uh, beautiful city. Um, I know it. That's where Joe went on his honeymoon there. So did I. Um, it is a beautiful city. How did you end up there? I mean, um, tell us a little bit about that. I think that's very interesting. And, and, and obviously, you're an American living in Italy. Uh, if you could tell us a little bit about that, I'm sure our listeners would be interested. Well, I am. Um... I went to University of Chicago for my undergrad, but in my final, my, my, my year abroad, I went to the University of Bologna, which was a, a program where I had to go to school in Italian University in Italian. And um, I really found that studying art with it all around you was just, a, I, I couldn't really give it up. So as soon as I finished my degree at University of Chicago, I went back to University of Bologna. And then irony of ironies, uh, the way it works for your graduate topic, um, you don't get to choose your thesis topic, it's assigned to you. And I was assigned because I was an American because they just figured they could, they could dump one that involved traveling a lot on me. I was assigned to do a counter-reformation church in Rome, which at the beginning seemed like the world's worst thing. But eventually coming back and forth to Rome to study this church, um, I, I remember really re the line of Queen Christina of Sweden when she realized she couldn't live another day if she didn't live it in Rome really resonated with me. So I, even before I finished my, my thesis, I moved to Rome and I've pretty much been here ever since. Yeah, it's That's a nice awesome. city. I, I had a cousin that went to University of Bologna for med school. He went to Rutgers and then he went mm -hmm. over for med school. He like learned the language pretty fast and uh, he had a pretty good experience. In fact, a lot of Italian uh, Americans, I know of a few who went to med school in Bologna. Um, I'm assuming it's a fairly large college town. It was a very good med school. It was obviously far, far, far less expensive. And as a matter of fact, when I lived in Bologna, it was one of the nice ways that, you know, I, I met a lot of people, a lot of Americans who were doing the, the medical degree there. So it was one of the very few opportunities I had to speak English, that and John Hopkins International School. But there just wasn't a lot of English. So it was fun to be able to meet up with the John Hopkins medical students who studied really hard. So you didn't see them very much. And I, I believe mean, uh, it. But they studied really hard. So you didn't see them very much. For those of you just joining us, we're having a conversation with Elizabeth Lev. We're going to be jumping into her new book, The Silent Night, A History of St. Joseph, as depicted in art. So, Joe Resinello, let's uh, let's jump right in. So, let's talk about the book. Um, you know, doing research for the interview, uh, I read that the husband, I didn't know this. I never even thought about it, actually, that, you know, St. Joseph, obviously the foster father of Jesus, um, basically was not really present in the art. Uh, you know, the, you know, the visual representation, you know, throughout, what is it, the first century? Could you talk, why, why do you think that was? So the, um, the Christian art is kind of slow off the mark. We don't really see a lot of art and Christians don't really start producing art until maybe the very end of the second century, the beginning of the third century. And when they start, they have a very limited list of things that they show. And to be sure, St. Joseph is not among them. And what is, I mean, it could simply be a choice, except for the fact they use a fair amount of images of both the nativity and the adoration of the Magi, where one would expect to see St. Joseph, and he's not there. And this has to do with the fact that in the very beginning, especially as the Christians are 
trying to evangelize the Gentiles, the Romans, the Greeks, who are very accustomed to these sort of, you know, licentious gods running around impregnating fair maidens all the time. Um, they really wanted to emphasize the chastity of the Blessed Virgin, and they really wanted to emphasize the divine paternity of Christ. And for that reason, Joseph kind of stood off to the sidelines and allowed this, allowed this teaching to come forth and really be ingrained into the society. So he was completely left out in order to underscore and emphasize these most important elements of both Mary and Jesus. You know, it's so funny. Your, I, I, oh, please, Joe. I was say, so, so, so then your book is, is chronicling the, the rise of, let's say, um, the icono iconography of St. Joseph through, let's call them what they are, masterpieces uh, by some of history's greatest artists. So what I would ask you, what I'd love to ask you first out of curiosity is, do you yourself uh, have a devotion to St. Joseph? I, my devotion, devotion to St. Joseph came while I was writing this book. It started out with a request. So it started out with Pope Francis, who came up with the wonderful idea of having a year of St. Joseph. I mean, if you remember at the very beginning, um, during his very first mass, when he was consecrated his inaugural mass as Pope, it was on the feast day of St. Joseph. And he gave a very beautiful homily back in was it now 2008 um, on St. Joseph on that day. And so already there was a kind of, it was, it was very, I remember being there on that day, I was with the film crews and watching kind of these, you know, hard boiled, you know, mainstream media people being very moved by the way he spoke about Joseph and that kind of stuck with me. And then in the middle of the pandemic, when he declared the year of St. Joseph and really wrote this magnificent, the letter of Patrice Corday is a beautiful piece of writing, really makes us think about Joseph in an extremely modern way. And then uh, the Sacred Art Journal and Duncan Stroik said, would you, you know, write us an article on St. Joseph? And when I went to try to make a decision about what pieces to write on and just kind of started following that rabbit hole, I realized that there were so many images of Joseph. And so I you know, wrote, wrote, wrote it out as a kind of a series to kind of explore you know, how much uh, sort of explore and see if I could organize these images. But when it came time to write this book and really be thinking about the great saints and their devotion to St. Joseph, how St. Joseph has just addressed such a variety of things and his kind of extraordinary way of being a little guy in a big thing and the way that he he navigates that, it really, it just, I, 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 I my greatest, greatest gift of this book is really forming my own devotion to St. Joseph. I, love I mean, uh, being an Italian-American, both, obviously both our names are Joe. Uh, Joseph has you know, <laughs> uh, played a very large role in my family. Um, there's a lot of Joes, but that's very typical of Italian families, at least in the Northeast. Um, you know, pastries, St. Joseph's pastries on the 19th, ever since I was a little boy, uh, I carry on that. Good. They're very good. Uh, I carry on that tradition, you know, with my children. Um, you know, I mean, as my my faith has progressed, I'm a 51 year old man. I mean, I've been Catholic my whole life. Um, I've grown to appreciate Joseph more. I've also grown to appreciate the little way more. Um, Joseph did the little things and he did them well. 
and he was faithful and he was obedient and he was in the background. And ultimately, I think that's the way to Christ. When we get in front of Christ, we screw it up. Joseph never did that. He, like you said, he was a small character in it, but his role was huge. And and I love the fact that Pope Francis had a year of Joseph. We've talked to Don Calloway about his book as well. Um, and I really think it's, it's uh, a spirituality that Catholics, if they really meditate upon, will lead them to Christ. In many ways, I think, but now I think I know I wrote the book because um, as I began to realize how many crises in the history of the church have been addressed by calling on St. Joseph and with a resulting change in his iconography, so we see new images of Joseph, depending on the crisis that the church is facing, it, it really, it, it occurred to me that St. Joseph, if you look at his track record, he is very much a saint for our times. He's a saint for our times in, in, in myriad ways. So, you know, everything from the crisis in fatherhood. So the question of, you know, the dignity of work, um, uh, even as we ask ourselves, you know, the, he was there for the question of is it consummation or consent that makes marriage? We are even, you know, more complicated questions about, you know, what makes a man? And I think, I think Joseph really is a, a, a figure who should be invoked more. And again, it was very, very significant that the Holy Father put forward this, this opportunity for us to think about how we can ask St. Joseph to guide us through the minds of this particular era, which are numerous and insidious. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I would emphasize to our audience, uh, and remember, we are speaking with Elizabeth Lev. We were discussing the Silent Night, a history of, of St. Joseph as depicted in art. Uh, what struck me about what you just said, Liz, is that people might think we're having this conversation, and it's kind of like this sentimental conversation about this this great saint, the foster father of Jesus. No, it pertains to what, what, what we're dealing with in the modern world. As you just said, remember one of the titles of, obviously you know this, one of the titles of St. Joseph is patron of fathers and workers. If you want to talk about two of the biggest problems in the world right now is fatherhood and the way workers are treated, okay, all across the world. That's why we're talking about St. Joseph and also about art depicting St. Joseph. So let me, um, let's, uh, oh, I, I had, here, I had a question. You just mentioned that um, you wrote the book, and you know it's part of the celebration uh, of Saint Joseph declared by Pope Francis. So now, being you live in Rome, what are some of the things you see firsthand with regard to Catholic faithful and their love for Saint Joseph as they travel, as they traveled at the time to Rome for that historic year? What did you see firsthand, Liz? Well, it sounds a lot like what other Joe. Are you Joe A B? <laughs> yeah, you can go Joe R, Joe P. It's all good. Okay. Well, what Joe R said, I think that really that it really resonated with me in the way that we live here. And we have overwhelming number of of people named Joseph. We use that name. It's a Joseph Beppe people. It's everywhere. Uh, we have our Bignet de San Giuseppe. We have the image of Saint Saint Joseph everywhere. And the joy of Italy is that we have a greater variety of images of Saint Joseph. And I just want to backtrack a 
little bit because again, you were the way when you said the, uh, you know, it seems like we're having this sort of sentimental conversation. Why I really like Saint Joseph? It is exactly that why I really had Saint Joseph in my periphery for so long because the images that I was exposed to when I was, you know, in the United States, these sort of very again, I, I admit it, I'm a snob, I'm an art historian. I like I like pretty I like well done pictures, but these kind of you know pastel saccharine images of the the guy over to the left, you know, holding his little flower. It's like, oh, I'm not interested in that man. Mm -hmm. But when I, when, 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 you know, you see a Murillo or you see Guido Reni or you see Caravaggio or Michelangelo and the way that they portray Joseph, then he becomes a man who was really quite, quite fascinating. And that, that was a really, I think that, that, that was a very, very, very important part of what really, you know, when I didn't feel like writing the book anymore, and it just seemed a little overwhelmed. I was trying to get it done so fast. And it was just like, ah, oh, why is my whole life being taken over? It was that, it was the idea of taking Joseph out of this kind of saccharine, sterile, soft, he's just that, you know, he's that guy, he's, he's the, he's the, he's the henpecked husband over in the corner and really bringing out you know, the man, the worker, the, 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 the first one to face death in the era of salvation. I mean, it's uh he's he, he, there's so much more to him and that's what art's been able to do draw out these different facets and you know, uh, a modern uh, elizabeth, I'm sorry, lev, elizabeth lev joining us at the front line with joe and the, joe and joe on the veritas catholic radio network the book is silent night a history of the depiction of saint joseph in art i want to hand it right uh over to joe i would say this i love about uh or something that struck me about your book liz is that silent night all right and and in a world of so much noise now, don't get me wrong. We all have to talk. We have to get out there into the public square. But the idea that St. Joseph is a man of action um, didn't bother too much with words, but his actions are something that, you know, we obviously could learn something by. But with that, I want to hand it over to Joe. I was just going to say, in terms of a modern depiction of Joseph, which has helped me, and I, I reflect on it a lot when I pray the rosary, was it, it wasn't even a Catholic movie. It was the nativity. It was made by Protestants. That really flushed out Joseph for me. Um in, in many ways, there were many scenes in that film that really how he protected Mary, um, his humility, I mean, was just absurd. Uh, and his obedience. I've talked about Joseph on the show a lot. And that is a, a trait, I think, in, in our era, our time, um, that's just not there. But if we're obedience, to follow Christ, we must be obedient. As Americans, we're not. We're, we're individualistic. I mean, everybody's an individual. That's not the path to heaven. The path to heaven is to be obedient to God's will. My will, I always say, the theme song in hell is I did it my way. That's they're singing that in hell, you know, like like Joseph did not. Don't do tell it that his... to the average Italian American. No, you but but, get, but uh, I'm just you. saying. Oh my gosh, you've been talking to my mother. She always says that. Well, th there you go. Your mother's a holy woman <laughs> because she's right. <laughs> like like God, Joseph did it God's way, and it didn't go according to his plan. Um, but it was the right plan and it was the right way. And I can't overemphasize that and why he's so important. I just want to hear your take on it. Because, I mean, you're looking at it from a, a completely different perspective. I did take an art history course in college, but obviously my, my you know, breadth of knowledge isn't that of yours. But from that movie, I did get a lot out of it. And I prey on it. 
So that movie, I note at the very end of the, if I've got the right one, it's the one with, uh, did you, did you notice who played uh, Joseph in that movie? It's Oscar Isaacs, who later went on to be the superstar of the Star Wars reboot. Oh, I so, didn't know. Okay. He's, oh, he's so hot right now. Oh, yeah. And he started out as Joseph. And I remember seeing that movie in the cinemas back in 2000, whatever it was. And actually, I think there was some sort of, actually, I think I saw it here in Rome. And I think there was some kind of, they were doing some sort of screening here in Rome of the movie. And I was really struck by this very, I mean, he was unknown Oscar Isaac. Now, you know, he's, he's sort of the hot, handsome guy. But um, I was really struck by what a sort of handsome virile strong protective joseph it was a really great image of joseph that they they projected in the film so i actually really did um i agree with you i think it's a very very good modern way of showing joseph i also think there are ways of kind of applying joseph to uh whether it's in the in in the art of film or in you know painting or sculpture or 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 literature i think there are ways of applying joseph and these qualities to the to to our contemporary age and i i i think um joe p has a very good point in the silence in a moment of it's just there's so much noise and everybody is talking over one another and 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 people speak but they don't really know what they're saying i mean the fact that joseph is is silent and that we have not a single recorded word from him in in scripture but that he 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 acts he's a man who 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 picks up and does and so he lets his actions he lets his life speak for him and i think it also makes him very elastic as a figure he's able to to have all these facets because his words don't trap him into a single identity yeah, and, and, and that's great. You got to watch what you, you know, if you say something, you got to take it back. Say Joseph, say Joseph is the best. He never, he didn't say anything, so he never had to retract anything. Well, he had to do exactly. is do. Nowadays, words get you in so much trouble, as I don't need, I don't need to tell you that. I am uh, curious, though. I want to impart to our audience about some of this great art uh that you that you talk about in your book because we want people we don't just want to talk about these 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 works we want people to go out and you know look at them if they can whether it be on a computer or if they happen to get into a museum let's talk a little bit about some of the more um uh more popular let's say uh depictions of saint joseph in renaissance art uh rafael michelangelo you mentioned before caravaggio el greco um what are the some what are some of the more representative works that we're talking about so I think um, one of the images that would be uh, very, very familiar and also I think uh, very inspirational for people who aren't familiar with the works are um, those of Murillo and um, Esteban Murillo. He uh, was very famous to us as the man who did all these images of the Immaculate Conception. So you see lots and lots of these sort of soft images of Mary wearing white and the blue and this, these working out the iconography of the Immaculate Conception. He's a Spanish painter from the Baroque era, so we're talking about the 17th century. But what, again, amazing things I found out while I was working on this, he painted a ton of St. Joseph's. So I've always been, I knew about all his Marys, I've done all this sort of work on his Immaculate Conception, it turns out he does all of these Josephs, and his Josephs are amazing. They draw on the spirituality of um, Geronimo Gracian, who was the spiritual, one of the spiritual directors of Teresa of Avila, so we move into that Carmelite circle that's very, very, very devoted to Joseph. And he talks about how Joseph, uh, more than anybody else, would have 
resembled Jesus. And so his, but Murillo's images of Joseph are amazing. He's standing there with this, you know, it looks like, it, it honestly looks like today, Joseph will be played by Chris Hemsworth. And so he's got this, this long, dark hair, this strong jaw gazing off into the distance. Jesus holds on to him, sort of, you know, he's, he's, he's clinging to his, to his foster father for protection. So these are really, really stunning images. Or the Holy Family with Bird, also with a little bird, also by Murillo, which is a, a, a sort of a, not a tall painting, but more of a wide painting where you see the Holy Family in the studio, in the atelier of Joseph, Mary's spinning in the corner, jo Jesus is playing with, Joseph has taken a moment away, and they're playing with a little bird. I mean, these are beautiful, beautiful I did images. not know that that was a, a Murillo. I'm sorry to interrupt. My wife has it here. In, 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 in our home. And I, 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 I swear, we just moved, so I have to find it. It's probably in one of the boxes still that we haven't unpacked. But we have that. And you know what? When I pray the rosary, you're, I can't believe you're saying this. I look at it all the time, and I think, wow, that's that's really kind of, like, interesting. Like you said, it's like Mary's in the corner spinning. You know, it looks like every other family, you know. And St. Joseph, like you said, looks very, very strong. I had no idea. Um, that's so awesome. But I cut you off. I, 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 no, I got no, excited. No, no, no. I got excited that's, when you said that, Liz, because uh, I said I, went, I I have it in front of me when, or when we were living in Jersey. I had it in front of me uh, all the time when I was praying the rosary. But please continue. So uh, you have Mario. No, I just... I think, I think Mario, Mario um, he's one of the, one of the early artists that starts to give Joseph more of a solo image. Joseph is usually there in function of the story or, you know, together with Mary and the adoration of the child. What happens in the 17th century is we seem to see more solo Joseph. Another really, really interesting Joseph that I enjoyed working on immensely was uh, Joseph who becomes like the alter ego to St. Peter. So you see lots and lots of images, basically starting in the 1400s, where Joseph wears blue and yellow, which are the traditional colors of St. Peter. Open up any painting of St. Peter, and Peter wears a blue, blue, robe with a with a yellow a yellow blue and yellow combination of his why robe. is that just out of curiosity i never knew well that. it turns out the reason this the source of this comes from the late 14th century which is not going to mean anything to most everybody until we start putting what happened during the 14th century the popes moved to avignon so the papacy abandons its traditional seat in Rome, the See of Peter. It abandons Rome. It goes to live in France for 70 years. And then when finally Catherine of Siena manages to persuade the Pope to return to Rome, he dies. And the, the cardinals elect one Pope. Then they you know, leave the Vatican. They you know, go a couple miles away and they elect another Pope. And then the church gets together and has a council and decides to elect a third Pope. And you're entering into the 15th century with, you know, three different popes who are all you know refusing to to back down or listen to reason and so you have a lack of care for the church i.e the people of the church have been abandoned physically by the pope who left and now they're just being tossed around like a toy between these are a prize between these three contending popes and in come a series of, of very very important figures including jean gerson who was the chancellor of paris and um, another uh, friar oliva who was a franciscan who start to put forth the idea of what should pope be like you know we know the pope is the successor of saint peter but like what what should a pope be like what's a model for the papacy when the pope is being the pope what should he be looking at and they start to say it's saint joseph 
because St. Joseph was a true, uh, careful, loving, protective husband to his bride. So the Pope should be a protective, loving, sacrificing husband to the church. And so there's this, this, this spate of images where Joseph looks just like Peter. That's interesting. That's that a, really interesting. That. I did not know that at all. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I, I, I mean, the, when you think about the art, it's like, and I want to get into a little bit more because I think our audience really enjoys, you know, uh, hearing about these things. Uh, Liz, uh, we have a couple minutes left. Can you maybe uh, give us one more, let's say more, another representative example of, uh, of let's say, you know, from, from whenever, Renaissance, so um, Raphael has a very, very, very handsome young um, uh, uh, Joseph. Actually, he does many different images of Joseph. He does a very famous marriage of the Virgin. But I'm thinking in terms of a beautiful little round painting, which was meant to be for someone's house. It's called Holy Family with Palm. <coughs> and you see Joseph, he's, his hair is just beginning to be tinged with gray. And he and Mary are leaning together. As he looks at Jesus, Mary looks at Joseph. And it's a wonderful, wonderful image of family. Excellent. So if you're just joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Rosanello, we're being joined by Elizabeth Lev. And we were speaking about the silent night, a history of St. Joseph as depicted in art. Uh, before we go to the break, Liz, um, where can people buy your book and learn more about you and what you do? Well, I have a website elizabeth-lev.com and you'll be able to keep up with my work there and the book is available from amazon sophia institute press and barnes and noble awesome but as i say don't get mad at me don't get mad at me liz for saying it on the show don't buy the book on amazon go buy the, right. go, go buy the book um from the publisher that's what that's what we want sophia institute press we need to support our catholic publishers okay our authors right. and our publishers so it is available right. on amazon if you happen to be buying 10 things already and this <laughs> book onto the list okay but if you're buying the book by itself please go to um, Sophia Institute Press. Let's take a quick break, Liz. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we're going to be coming right back here at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Again, we are having a great conversation with Elizabeth Lev about her new book, The Silent Night, The History of St. Joseph as Depicted in Art. So stick around. We have another segment. We'll be right back. Listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear The Frontline with Joe and Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, tune in for the only late-night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. And at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that, at 12.30, you can hear the Focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app. 
Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Racinello, and we are in The Breach, and we are talking about art. The, the Silent Night, A History of St. Joseph as Depicted in Art. The author is Elizabeth Lev. The book is that, and it is available at Sophia Institute Press, so we emphasize to you to go out and purchase that. And with that, I am going to hand it over to Joe Racinello, and we're going to talk more about St. Joseph and, and art. Liz, could you basically break down how you structured the book um, with regard to, you know, history, spirituality, uh, co you know, controversy of the different ages uh, that the art was produced. I think that's very unique with regard to this particular book. Um, actually, that's a really great question. And I appreciate it a lot because it comes to the structure of creating something like this, which added a lot of challenges. So it's fundamentally um, chronological. I am I am a I'm a big fan of keeping things in chronological order, and uh, my students don't like that because it means they have to learn dates. But I think they help. Um, so it's fundamentally a kind of a chronology of how Joseph changes. But as we move into the sort of thick of Josephine imagery, 1400s, 1500s, 1600s, there's just an intensification. So they start to overlap. At which point. Um, the, the book divides up into sections regarding kind of the spirituality or the specific uh, devotional facet that Joseph is addressing. So the book is kind of following, let's say it was on a track, it's following just a track, which is chronology, it ends up with our, you know, present age, but kind of the conductors who are taking us along are the great, they're saints for the most part, and a few very sort of very significant people who were important in the development of Josephine devotion. And then the stops tend to be historical, turns out the stops tend to be historical events or historical moments in the history of the church. So one of the things, and this is what I love about art history, this is why I'm an art historian, this is what makes me art, makes me think art history is such an incredible field, is that it allows us, art allows us to look at history and allows to look at the people who shape history, but allows us to do it in a way that's very beautiful and, and sort of soothing. It takes us by the hand and allows us to look at very difficult periods. And, and at the same time that we're looking at moments when it seems like the church is, you know, in, in a terrible state, for example, again, as I was talking about before, when we had, you know, three popes and this almost loss of, 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 of a sense of what it means to be pope, art helps us to always sort of look towards the positive end that there's a, like, there's a, there's the bigger picture and, and, and it gives us hope. So, um, I mean, that's it's far more than you probably wanted, but I, I really, I, I, I tried very hard to, I, I think art history serves a purpose in helping us understand history, help us shine a light on what does the spirituality look like? So what does it mean when Teresa loves St. Joseph? What does it mean when Bernardino of Siena loves St. Joseph? What does that look like? And art lets us understand what it looks like. Well, it's funny because Robert Barron, who's a very uh, Bishop Barron um, in, from L.A., uses beauty as one of his hooks. That's like one of his themes of his evangelization. Um, every time he writes something, he usually puts a famous piece of art. Um, 
beauty appeals to people. It's like music. You could disagree politically, but you could put music on and you could all say, yes, that is beautiful. Art is similar to that. It's a unifier. I think uh, Bishop Barron is very wise in doing that. Um, it's a common thread amongst people. People can't agree, you know, what to eat for breakfast, but they could look at something beautiful and, and it'll appeal to them. Um, I mean, I have, you know, seen, you know, I've seen the David, I, I've, you know, traveled a lot and I've seen art, great art. Um, and some of the images really resonate with you forever. I always think of uh, a, a piece that's in the uh, New York Metropolitan Museum of Art of Joan of Arc, gazing in like, like, just like in wonder as she hears the voice of the angel as a child in a garden. It's a human, I don't even know who did it. But to be honest with you, it, it I stood in front of it, it, it paralyzed me to be honest with you. And I think that's the importance of beauty. It's a hook. And to your point, it's a way to communicate the faith. Joe, let me just piggyback off that and, and segue into a question for, for Liz, who's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. I don't think there's any doubt that modern art, for lack of a better word, sucks. Um, sorry, Liz, I just that's the way I see it. I don't see any value. I mean, I'm sure there's good art being produced. Don't get me wrong. But what gets put in MoMA and the rest of it, um, I'm, I'm not going to look at it. I wouldn't even call it art. But, ba but basically, uh, along the lines of what Joe just said, I would ask you, okay, um, when you truly look at what art is supposed to do, okay, um, which is to elevate our soul, how does religious art in general – Okay, and obviously your book is about the depiction of St. Joseph in particular, but how does that art connect people to God in, in, in ways that words just cannot? So um, I think there are a few, there are several different facets of this question. It's a, it's a, it's a very, very interesting problem in art. Beauty is a very important part of art, and yes, it is a hook, but art is also a way of, when we're looking at the image, what the way the artist produces the image is trying to tell us something about the image. So you were talking about Joan of Arc. And when you were talking about Joan of Arc, I started to, I, I, I happen to really like images of Joan of Arc. I've got a huge bunch of them on my phone just because wherever I go, I always take pictures of them. And, and, and what I find really interesting is what is the artist trying to say? So there's some images of Joan of Arc that have to do with the moment that they're trying to rehabilitate Joan of Arc. So they make all these images of Joan of Arc. Then there's the moment when France decides to stay Catholic and the beginning of the 20s at the end of the 19th beginning of the 20th century they make these images to kind of you know this is we are french and we are catholic and we love joan of arc so the other thing that that or sometimes Joan of Arc is an image that's given to a young girl to kind of you know, encourage her. So these types of images, um, it, it, the artist, it, it, it's a form of communication. Art is a form of communication. And they're trying to tell you something when they produce, uh, when they, every art, every choice an artist makes is a choice to help us or to 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 direct our gaze in a very specific way so that we receive a certain kind of message and so that is really religious art 
it points towards the the artist is working towards involving us in some way or communicating to us in some way either the stories of the faith or the you know models that we can hold up beforehand or 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 in the case of baroque art for example what you see in saint peter's that that sense of that sense of awe and amazement and wonder that we have before god and his creation and it was funny i was just giving a talk on this in cincinnati i think two nights ago and um and I, one of the things I really wanted to say, I mean, my whole point of the talk was that really what, what religious art I tend to feel is its, brain, its main job is praise. Its main job is to remind us. So when you say that modern art is, is, is that contemporary art sucks, I mean, I think what you're responding to, and I, I feel this way, I, I went to see this big show that was in the, the Art Institute of Chicago, and it was just these very kind of bold letters against a white background sort of yelling at me I just felt like I was being yelled at the whole entire exhibition <laughs> I'm like these big letters like oh you know why talking about you talking about me talking about us I think was the name of the show and it was just very angsty it had a lot to do with like body image and you know I, I was just I remember I walked through room three and I was, I was walking through the, through the second room to the third room. And I said, oh, well, let me see. We've been yelled at about hair. Now we're going to be yelled at about weight. And I was like, I was, and I walked in the next room. And it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. And I started laughing in the middle of the show because it was kind of predictable and it's kind of yelling at you. And everybody turned around and looked at me like I was, you know, I, I was clearly the most insensitive Philistine in the world. I'm like, you don't think this is funny. Like you just paid money so people could come and laugh. Like you're, so you can be yelled at. So I, so, I mean, so, so I think what I'm, what I'm trying to say here is that there, what the, what the contemporary art often does is because it doesn't like transcend transcendental. It doesn't like to point beyond. It doesn't like to give you responsibilities. Great religious art makes you feel the responsibility of what it means to have been saved and what we owe our savior. That, or they don't want to do any of that. So the kind of responsibility they want to give you is the problem of, you know, there's too much garbage in the ocean or, you know, you know, you all know it's the, it's the, it's whatever contemporary concern we have that makes us feel like we're saving the world by, by, by getting upset about something that's very, very localized and art like that which has this kind of yelling at you factor. We just get a lot of that. Whereas religious art, I really, it, it, first and foremost, it's it's meant not even to be you know, yelling at us, go to get to heaven, get to heaven. It's meant to remind us what a gift we have in, 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 in our lives, in being redeemed, in being part of creation, in the fact that there was a creation, in the fact that God decided one day that he'd make some light and went from there. That's what it is. I, I just, I, I, I think more and more as I go more and more through the years in the history of art, that really art is based on the Psalms. I mean, the, 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 the sort of poetry of praise more than anything else. Let's look at for a second, talk about the, my brother's an artist, just so you know, uh, he has a master's of the fine arts. He lives out in Portland, Oregon. I work in banking just to give you like uh, our Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, you're talking about two very different people. The artist and the banker. Yeah. The yeah. Basically. The I mean, hey, very, you know, Liz, very Liz, different. We just came up with a, a, a title to a play. <laughs> All right. Well, let, let, let's make it the beatnik and the banker. But, but Joe, I, I'm sorry. I couldn't. No, it's it. okay. But I, 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 as much as like, I have no artistic ability, but I can appreciate art and I find artists to be interesting. They have something to say about the culture. Um, really? 
I mean, even outside of religious art, and I think it's something, again, that people should pay attention to. Um, take like a modern artist who uh, got a lot of attention, like Basquiat. Like he was a Haitian, I think he was homeless at one time in his life. But I mean, he got a ton of recognition. Um, he spoke so something to the culture. I think people sometimes, especially nowadays, they gloss over art. They, they basically don't, like my brother says, like to make a living as an artist, my brother works for the water company. I mean, he has a master's of the fine arts because uh, he needs benefits. He's like 1% of the 1% make it. But at the same time, artists speak to us in a way they, they speak through a lens that most people don't see. And frankly, I think should pay attention to. I would agree. Um, I think a, an enormous problem facing the modern era is the art for art's sake idea that the expression of what the artist has to say, not necessarily is important. Or I, I don't agree that everything an artist has to say is important. I just, I, I, I don't. I think there are artists who do have important things to say. I, artists who are ask interesting questions. I think actually artists should spend less time telling us stuff and more asking us questions and inviting us to think more and to sort of enter into something more instead of this kind of preaching from the from the from the installation or from the from the wall but i find um a lot of artists simply for the cleverness of making this or making that um a lot of it has a kind of an interesting idea it's a fun little so jeff coons's enormous balloon sculptures yeah it's cute i mean they're clever I don't really think saying very much. And I suppose I could, I, I suppose if you put me in front of it long enough, I could come up with an extra, extrapolation of, well, you know, the world is full of air, but really it's heavy. I mean, it, but it doesn't really say very much. It's just a kind of a really cool idea. And there's a lot of that in art. And then when you move to the under, on, on other end of the spectrum where you have art that's so incredibly subjective, it's about sort of the miserable state in which one person finds him or herself. I, Right. I, We're I, all I, miserable. <laughs> you got to throw you, Yeah, you, you just have to, to to throw up your hands somewhat. What I would ask Elizabeth Lev, throw, uh, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasola, Joe Rosinello on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Um, how can uh, how can Catholic education, um, how can the Catholic schools, both at the high school level and the university level, particularly in America, how can we do a better job in emphasizing what you're talking about, um, as far as art is concerned, a real appreciation for great art, what the meaning of it is, um, teaching kids, uh, students, sorry for saying kids, students, about the, uh, the skill of an artist, because I think I don't see any skill in a lot of this art. If I, if I see the conversion of St. Paul by Caravaggio, which I had the pleasure of seeing it when we were at the Santa Maria del Popolo in Rome, uh, you know, I see skill, I see talent. Okay, what can Catholic education in general do to, 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 to educate our students about the greatness of art? Because right now, I think we're fighting a battle here, Liz, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, between the, the objective, objectivity of great art and the subjectivity that you were just describing. So um, I, I think what I always think is the first and most important thing is that uh, students understand that this art that you know, people stand in line to go see at the museums, it's our art. 
it, it comes from our tradition. It's you cannot have a Sistine Chapel out of the atheists cannot make a Sistine Chapel. Muslims can't make a Sistine Chapel. Jews can't make a Sistine Chapel. There's only one group of people who can make a Sistine Chapel. And, and, and that's, I mean, that's something that we really have to go back to owning. Like this is ours. You don't, it, it's for you. You're welcome to look at it. But the tradition that this comes from, it comes from us. It doesn't come from Freud. It doesn't come from, you know, the Kardashians. It comes from us. And that I think is the very, very, very most important thing of all the stories that people are telling these, these amazing stories, stories of healing stories of, 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 of redemption stories, these, these stories, they are also ours, they should know those stories, when and they should know the story, they should know the, 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 the meaning behind them. The reason why we have a gazillion images of Judith and Holofernes is not because we are, you know, we're, we're addicted to, to, to violence, porn it's because judith and holofernes is a reminder that to get up every morning and 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 battle sin it takes work judith is a heroine who would by every single standard of her own society be unable to conquer this man but she with the grace of god and with a little bit of you know get up and go and some smarts she manages to conquer this man who is the personification of evil so paintings like that are about battling sin and these are things that we have to be able to talk about otherwise we get led off into believing all kinds of stuff regarding the work of art that has nothing to do with what the work of art is actually about so I think there's a lot that, that comes in from that score. However, there is a point I'm going to make, which is that Caravaggio's painting specifically of the conversion of Saul is a work that I always point out as a sign that it's, it's a sign in the Counter-Reformation that the standards have dropped because there are extremely serious flaws in that painting. And I sometimes imagine like what would have happened had Caravaggio, had Michelangelo actually gone into that chapel and seen the painting where the right leg of Saul just disappears like so you've got you've got this knee and then it just it just ends because Caravaggio doesn't know how to do that kind of foreshortening and so Caravaggio actually has tremendous um lacune tremendous um gaps in his skill because he never bothered to train the way he was supposed to but he makes up for it with the things he does best and i think that's a very important part about art like there's no you don't have to be so technically flawless you have to have a vision of how you're going to tell the story it's, it's very similar to what we see in movies and there are movies that just sweep you along and you there may be a scene that's a dud or something that the director didn't do very well but this director's vision of how to tell the story is so compelling that you just you don't care about the other stuff and i think that's a, a, a in a revival of art there are basically two things I think that are going to have to happen. In one way, the revival of art via craftsmanship is a very, very good system because it's very easy for people to appreciate the hard work it takes in making a mosaic, carving, wood or stone. And people can appreciate that and can understand that and can translate that into uh, the artist's sincere commitment to his subject matter. So craftsmanship, I think, is a very, very important part. But then there's also a need for great storytelling, um, creating uh, uh, understanding that the heroes of our church are our icons. So you can take, they, they, there are photographers out there who take the biggest twit in the world. I'm all right, so I am coming in all kinds of trouble. No, that's that, okay. We that's get, what our show's about. That's what we're all about <laughs> here, Liz. Yeah, so don't that, worry about that. that. 
So, so, oh yeah. Well, so you're really, all right. Well, I'm just saying, it makes me really mad. That picture made me really mad. Was it, what was her name? Christine, the one who accused Kavanaugh, Christine Blasey, was that her uh, name? Blasey Ford, yeah. The Blasey Ford, Blasey Ford. So they have this picture of her and she's got, they took this picture of her. Her head is up. Here's the microphone. Everything's in bad. And she, I mean, she looks like Joan of Arc. Like they, this picture, if you, if you Google it, it's the picture that comes up the most. She's, you know, she looks like Joan of Arc, right? And, and they, no, make no, this, I, they make this person who leaving aside all the things I think about this person, but they make this person who, you know, completely, completely objectively, you cannot compare this woman to Joan of Arc. She right. looks like, you know, the most heroic, brave, magnificent person because of that photograph. But when we canonize one of these saints who, you know, personally carried women out of human trafficking across the desert, what do we put up in front of St. Peter's? The worst lame passport photo known to man. Like that's, you look at this like poor nun, like, I would never be anywhere near that person. And if she came to me in a dark alley, I'd run in the other direction. So why can't we make works of art? Why don't we just start with something simple? Why don't we make beautiful, iconic works of our heroes who are real heroes, take a leaf from the book of the, 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 the world we live in today, where they can take, you know, any twit off the street and make them look like, you know, they're taking our imagery to confer dignity on people who I don't think deserve it. And we don't know how to use imagery to confer dignity on the people who have really done extraordinary things with their lives. So that's a place where we could just start right away. No, I, I, I'm glad you said all of that. All, all of that, Liz. I mean, because it's it's just it's just so true. I'll tell you what, we're, we don't want to get you in any more trouble. But I mean, <laughs> Joe and I, Joe and I are used to being in trouble. We are surprised. I say, God bless the Veritas Catholic Radio Network because they continue to have us on. We so so but most of our most of our interviews, we 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 toe that line. Once in a while, we we approach an edge that we don't hope we hope not to go beyond. Um, but what you said was true. Okay, what you said is absolutely true. I don't want to see. Uh, here, I'll get myself in trouble. Okay, George Floyd is not Jesus. I don't want to see them, him depicted as Jesus. Okay, regardless of what the tragedy um, that happened to him, I, I don't want to. I don't want to see that. Like you said about Christy Blasey Ford, I don't want to see that. You're not Joan of Arc. You're nowhere near Joan of Arc. Go back to California, live your cushy life. Joan of Arc was burned at the stake as a teenager. Give me a break. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not going to let the vein pop out of my head. Joe Resinello, <laughs> we have about seven minutes left or so. So let's uh, let's get let's oh, get Saint Joseph. But in all honesty, you're talking about culture, reflecting culture, um, and and obviously the church has always patronized art. I mean, popes have promoted it. Um, do we see that now? Uh, do we see the church, you know, like like now? I mean, you're you're at the epicenter of the church, promoting artists, creating beautiful things. I mean, I work in New York City, and I I look at some of the buildings sometimes, the carvings sometimes on the sides of buildings that were made maybe a hundred years ago. They're beautiful. I we don't see that now. A building comes up, it's just concrete, steel, glass. Uh, as a church, I mean, we have such a rich history. There's so many beautiful things to convey. Are we patronizing art? Maybe we are. I don't know about it. That's why I'm asking you. We are in a very small way. Um, we we are not we're not patronizing art as much as we could or should. I believe. I have to say, I was very struck in Cincinnati this week this week 
um, by the murals. They have uh, this thing called artworks where they put murals, mural paintings on the sides of buildings. So that everywhere you go in this downtown, you, there's this, and they're beautiful. They're not, they're not angry murals. <laughs> they're not identity murals. They're just beautiful. And it was just, what a joy. And, and, and in my opinion, that helps, that kind of public art helps people to really want to be around art more. They, this, wow, this is really cool. It's really neat. And they, they, they live with it. So they feel very comfortable with it instead of art being kind of relegated to the, um, the, the museum, which is like the place you go to, you park the car, you go and you buy a ticket and you look at the art. So it, 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 that, that creates a very, very different type of relationship. Insofar as the church um, uh, commissioning art, first of all, I don't think it's really the place of the church to do that right now. Um, I think everybody understands that the church's financial situation is not that what it was back in the day when it had the paper states they are not medicis who are running the show which is good because last time we had medicis i think they caused the reformation um we um we have a church we have a poor church for the poor so at this exact moment this is really not the place for the church to be working i think it makes sense that the that they work in terms of how to reach out with social media and stuff like that but i'm not so sure that right now is the moment that the catholic church in the sense of the vatican should be commissioning art also because usually when they do commission art and put it out it's pretty horrible so rather than just sort of stop until we have some time to think about things that does not that is where the laity come in because the lay people we are still in a position we we can commission art we can commission art for our homes we can commission art for our churches we can commission art uh for our for our gathering spaces we i think this is a moment where it's not a question of what is the church doing it is what are we doing are we supporting our local artists are we so you you made the very right and correct pitch that you know sophia institute press goes to an awful lot of trouble to be able to put out these books these books that speak to us as catholics we should be supporting them we have uh we 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 have the power within ourselves to support artists and put them in places where other people can see them. And they don't all have to be pictures of people kneeling with big halos around their heads. We can just tell our stories in interesting ways and let other people come to us. That's how we did it before. Everybody comes to us to see our Madonna and child because they're beautiful. Right. Because they, 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 they create a world that other people want to be part of. Don't we still aren't we still part of that world don't we still believe in that world do not we can we not have enough of an enchanted catholic imagination to see beyond the grit the grime the floyds the putins the this and that and the other thing and realize that we are part of something beautiful well you know i i think the culture is looking in different directions i mean uh i always take it to where i live on my street everyone's catholic no one goes to mass uh, they're looking for beauty in Twitter. They're looking for beauty in Facebook. They're looking for, like our gaze is twisted as a society. I mean, if you look at the Middle Ages, like Christendom thrived. The church was the center of the community. Even in my town, the church, there used to be a rule. You could not build a structure higher than the church. No more. I mean, so the art, it's like politics. It's downstream from the culture. The culture's rancid. I mean, like, like, let's be honest. I mean, like, we're not gazing at the Madonna. We're gazing at Madonna. 
You know what I'm saying? I mean, that is, and it's going to reflect in the art itself. It's going to reflect in the politics. It's going to reflect in the family. Um, I do think, though, art is a way to bring people around. And it is something I think that Catholic education should focus on more, though. Well, uh, uh, Elizabeth Harris, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, um, Elizabeth Lebb joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Basilla, Joe Rosinello. We have about two minutes left. I'd love for you to comment on that and also finish by uh, letting all of our audience members know where they could buy the silent night, a history of St. Joseph as depicted in art. But we have like a, about a minute and a half or so. Well, you're, you're right. Uh, the culture is looking elsewhere, but it's looking the culture, people are clearly looking for something. They're looking, yes, in all the wrong places, but it's because we're not offering them something to look at. They want to come look at the lines. The first thing that people are doing now, they can travel, they're all coming back to Europe to stand outside and wait to go into these incredible museums and look at these works of art because these works of art fill them in some way. But it's up to us to A, articulate, this is what this, articulate what they're looking for and what the work of art is actually providing and to find new ways of saying that, you know, we didn't feel this way only 400 years ago, 500 years ago, we feel this way about the world we live in. Now we need to be able to project the joy of our stories. Think of the everybody in the world watched that one minute section of the beginning of the, the Pixar movie up, because in one minute, they showed you a life that even with its tragedy and its disappointments was so beautiful, everybody's reduced to tears. Everybody wants that. We should be able to put forward that that's what you're looking for, and we have it. Absolutely. And uh, where can people buy the book? You can get it on Sophia Institute Press website. All right. And if, and if you need... Uh, to buy it on Amazon, you can. Okay, Joe and Joe will allow you to, uh, but we'd really love for you to buy the book, The Silent Night of History of St. Joseph, as depicted in art. Elizabeth Lev is the author. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Thank you all out there for joining us, <clears throat> excuse me, on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, spreading the, the Catholic truth to the New York City metropolitan area, 103.5 on your AM dial, excuse me, 103.5 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. Remember that if you'd like to support Joe and I, you could follow us at The Frontline TV on YouTube, The Frontline TV, and also at TheFrontlineTV.com, TheFrontlineTV.com. And remember, until the next time that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere, we will talk to you soon.